Is there anything that you guys do to consciously model those skills yourselves? You can't lecture responsible decision-making. You have to prove it. Welcome to the Moments for Myself podcast. I'm your host, Virginia, and in today's episode, we're focused on responsible decision-making. I'm speaking with two people who work together in Marietta City Schools in Georgia. Brittany Wilson is the Executive Director of Innovative Practices, and Farha Ahmad is the Alternative Education Coordinator and Director of a program called MAPS. It's this MAPS program we'll be speaking about today. They'll describe it in more detail, but in a nutshell, this program is for students who are in pretty dire situations and desperately need to make better, more responsible decisions to turn their lives around. And what Farha and Brittany have learned about how to help kids develop better decision-making skills is something any educator or parent can learn from. After the episode, if you want something hands-on for your students or your kids to practice responsible decision-making skills, check out our Moments for Myself workbook published by McGraw-Hill at momentsformyself.com. As always, let's begin with a definition of responsible decision-making from CASEL, the organization that helps make SEL an integral part of education. Responsible decision-making is the ability to make caring and constructive choices about personal behavior and social interactions across diverse situations. Now, let's speak with Brittany and Farhat. So when we talk about responsible decision-making, what does that mean to you or how do you guys define it? A lot of our decisions are driven by um, policy, board policy. So you have a policy that says, hey, here are the expectations. And then beyond that, you have practice. So the practices you have for that policy. So I think when you talk about responsible decision-making, it is about looking at your policy and following your policy, but having a practice for that policy that is in the best interest of students. So you're looking at that uh, through, through a lens of, yes, this is what the policy says, but my interpretation of that should, should always be how I'm going to help students. So just to kind of street level that, it's like fight or flight. When you are confronted with a hard decision, you have one of two options. You can either fight it and get in a conflict or increase a conflict or respond emotionally and get nothing accomplished, burn down all the bridges and completely act in self-interest fight or maybe fight or flight depends on the situation but when confronted with a decision some people always end up how does this affect me and how do I absolve it in an education I think that's a completely wrong way to go it should be how does this affect whoever I'm serving and what can I do best to help them and that's where responsible decision making comes from asking that question specifically by not making it about you but making it about whoever you're supposed to be helping Okay. So that, that, no, that makes a lot of sense. And I know the program that you guys run in Marietta is pretty unique and seems embedded with opportunities to help students develop responsible decision-making skills. Can you guys talk a little bit about your program? So our program is called MAPS, the Marietta Alternative Placement and Services Program. Uh, It's an alternative school for students who have been placed either by a hearing decision or a choice contract. What that means is if a student has gotten into disciplinary problem and was placed on long-term suspension from either the high school or the middle school via a disciplinary hearing, 
they're sent to my school. They're like placed on long-term expulsion with the option to attend the MAPS program. Uh, MAPS is new. It was created by me. I used to work in College Park, Georgia at an alternative school where the foundation of what MAPS is was first built. MAPS replaced the ombudsman program, which is a third-party privately run program that serves the same function. The biggest problem when the city contracted out to ombudsman is one student graduated in five years from that program. When I founded the program, like three students graduated in the first semester of our founding, and we have a 100% graduation rate, except for students who are in, who end up being incarcerated. Yeah. So just to kind of add to that, I think um, your question was looking at opportunity. You know, what opportunity are we affording um, the students that we're serving? And um, a lot of times when you um, think about alternative settings or alternative education, it is viewed upon as a dead end. Okay, this is we're, we're going to send a student here and this is their last stop and they're probably going to end up dropping out. So I think the biggest thing that we've tried to look at with MAPS is we don't want it to be a dead end. We want this to be an alternative, a true alternative to a different opportunity. So looking at the opportunity of, you know, we've had the conversation, a diploma to a lot of kids is a piece of paper and nothing more. It means nothing more in their life. So offering them something that does mean something in their life. So we have a partnership with Chattahoochee Technical College where we function under the operation of Senate Bill 2 in Georgia, where students can get half of the high school credits and then complete credentials and certificates at the technical college and obtain a high school diploma at the same time. So this is something that truly appeals to our students because let's be honest that some of them really don't want to take Brit Lit. <laughs> and if you offer them an automotive class as opposed to Brit Lit, right. that's an opportunity. Right. Well, the thing with MAPS is too, it's unlike any, it's not regular school. Whatever regular school was, I completely burnt that down, rebuilt it from the ground up. There's no bells that ring. There's no class periods. Every student, we figure out what their plan is every day they come in because the stakes are high. The kind of students, we get 70% of them belong to some kind of street gang. An equal percentage have been involved in the criminal justice system. There's felonies, char people have felony charges, people are homeless, people don't have any parents. People live with an aunt, people are second, are second generation gang members. Everyone comes to my program the day after their worst day and not really sure where they came from. And there is no privilege at MAPS. No one there comes from any kind of privilege. So we have to take everything day by day and find opportunity where we can find opportunity. And every day is hard and the stakes are high and the system has already failed them. Like these kids, their entire lives have already been labeled. You know, alternative ed, historically, we're in a basement. The room smells like mold. No idea where we are. Every single teacher who can't handle being in a regular school is stuck there. Like the superintendent founded this program specifically to defy that caricature, to defy that stereotype, and to build something from the ground up that would actually work. And the only thing that works is rebuilding things. So you just listed off a bunch of situations that some of these students are coming in. How has the pandemic affected these students, especially since we are talking about responsible decision-making skills today? Because I'm sure it's affected them in a lot of ways. So far this year has definitely been more difficult. And I'm going to tell you it's been more difficult because you had last year's students with the opportunity um, to be virtual, right? 
even as we're coming out of the pandemic, all right? And what we saw, we had two very distinct groups of students that continued to be virtual. You had students who the virtual setting worked for them. You know, maybe they um, had supportive parents at home that it just worked with their daily schedule and their routine. The parents helped them, you know, if there was something that they didn't understand. They may have been gifted students or, or, or bright students that, again, that just fit. They didn't need extra supports or interventions um, to be successful. Then you had the other spectrum, which was parents who didn't care, didn't care enough to get them out of bed to take them to school every day. So they were losing that academic piece. They're also losing that social, emotional, being around other kids piece. Now that Marietta City, City Schools, and I'm talking about from you know the pre-K 12 spectrum, where we're not offering virtual options, where the expectation is for, for kids to come to school. So for the kids who, you know, on this side for a year, you know, they, they haven't really had to be held accountable for their behaviors, for their academics. Right. Now they're back to being held accountable. And I've seen the number of disciplinary hearings this year. I've already done more, doubled the amount that I did last year. Wow. Because we're putting kids together again that, again, two different spectrums. Right. They haven't been together. You mentioned for a second the parent side of this. Is there anything that parents can do at home to maybe help their children develop better decision-making skills? Give your kid a chance to speak. You know, you might not have all the answers. It's a new mm-hmm. world. It's a new situation. It's nothing like when we were in high school and when we were in college. Mm-hmm. And sometimes a kid just wants to be heard. A 17-year-old wants to be heard. An 18-year-old wants to be heard. Just give them that chance to speak before you jump down their throats. And it might be a little harsh, but everyone's going to default on oppositional defiance if they feel like they're backed into a corner. You know what I mean? So even if you think what someone's saying is utterly ridiculous, maybe they just want to be heard so someone can tell them what you're thinking is utterly ridiculous and we need to have a conversation about it. I would think also, too, from the parent perspective, just really quickly from the social emotional piece is, you know, listening to your kids. But also being aware if there are signs, signs of depression or, you know, my kid's not acting the same as they were because, you know, I I think that's not that parents ignore, but they just sometimes don't pick up on, you know, key signs where, you know, there is more needed for, for their child. Yeah, I mean, conversely, if a kid's not talking at all, that's an issue. Like, don't be happy about it. Don't say, oh, he doesn't bother me. He's great. You know what I mean? Like check in on him, like open the door to his room. Like, does he have food laying everywhere? Is it trash? Like, what's yeah. going on? Or is it overly neat? And he has his ties organized by color and his socks match. Like, there's like a million things. It's, I don't think you can be too intrusive yeah. because at the end of the day, it's better to be a helicopter parent and intrusive than to be not involved at all. Going back to the classroom, when you're working with these students and, and again, staying focused on responsible decision-making skills, is there anything that you guys do to consciously model those skills yourselves? I mean, I'm very intentional with even my patterns of speech. I mean, I, I'm, I use... Can you provide a, a couple examples? Like when grammar, you- just good morning, how are you? And, and you know, can I go to, no, it's may I. 
And I, it seems childish and small, but it's just like modeling responsible. And then if I lose my temper, right? Because a kid does something dumb, but I didn't lose my temper because of what that student did. I lost my temper because of the dumb email I just got. And I'm mad about something else entirely. Like I catch myself constantly and I stop and I have a conversation with that student about it. I'm like, look, I know I snapped at you earlier. It has nothing to do with you. I'm mad at something else. And I did this childish adult thing where I take out my anger on you and I'm really mad at something else. And that goes like a hundred miles with a kid when you just that's like how I model appropriate behavior. I take responsibility for my misdeeds and my bad actions, and I do that constantly. I think something else that um, Farah and I had started um, that, that hits responsible decision-making like head-on is our family meetings. So before every break, we would have a family meeting. So we would get together with the kids and say, hey, you're about to be on break. We don't want you to make a stupid mistake or a bad choice that will affect the rest of your life. So different scenarios um, have different individuals come in and talk to the students, share their stories. And I think the the biggest thing with that is we're authentic. You know, we we say, we made it, this is the mistake I made. So this is how I had to overcome that. I don't want you to have to go through that. So, and that, as far as I was saying, goes so far with students, when you're talking about responsible decision-making, when you can say, I made mistakes, but I overcame them. Well, and then the other thing too about the family meetings is we're all their antagonists. It's like Brittany, myself, the police, people who are in positions of authority over the students, and we're trying to humanize it and say, look, we're all here because we care about you and your well-being, and we don't want to see you go to jail or prison for the rest of your life. That's why we're having these conversations. I mean, you can't lecture responsible decision-making. No. You have to prove it. You have to prove that you're emotionally invested. We have to prove that we're emotionally invested in those kids. Otherwise, they're never going to listen. Does it work? Yeah. <laughs> you know, we have more successes and failures, I think. Well, I think you answered my question because I was going to, I mean, no, you did actually. I was going to ask, because when you were telling me how in the moment you kind of stopped yourself and you were like, it's not about you. I'm upset about this. I would think a student would like that because it's like, oh, he's human too. You know, he's admitting he made a mistake and this is something that happens to people, but he's owning up to it. But you said it, you said that they like that. It's a running joke now at this point. They're like, if they hear me yelling and they're like, he's checking his email. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Even though I know you guys deal with more challenging students but the way you said that you know they see us as the antagonists probably a lot of students that see their adult figures in their life like that I think think, you know to generalize even talking about you know the diploma being a piece of paper I think when you figure out what motivates a student and you give them a hope that they're going to you know achieve or you know this is a pathway for you then they become responsible decision makers because they don't want to mess up. Until they have a path or they know where they want to go, they're subject to making bad decisions. Yeah, and you guys said you have a unique plan for each student every day. Whenever they show up, I micromanage the heck out of everything. And we figure yeah. out where we're going to start every single day. They're like, oh, okay, you're behind in math. You're going to do math today. You need to work on writing. Or warning signs, you look like crap today. You're very, like, you're hidden, you're withdrawn, you almost got in a fight on the bus. Today, you're going to go talk to the counselor. Or today, we're just going to talk. 
Or it could just be simple, like, oh, you didn't sleep all night because you worked until two in the morning. Catch a nap, then let's get you breakfast, and then let's start. Like, it, it has to be like that because they're not, it's not college prep. You know what I mean? It's not like a factory where kids are coming in to get a diploma to go to college. This is like everyone has a hundred different needs from a hundred different places and it has to be decided every day. Yeah. And I, I just have, cause that was really well said. And I just have one last question. Is there an example or two that you could give whether it doesn't even, it could be small, it could be big where you saw or witnessed a student making better decisions. We had this restorative circle and we had a student, Sal, who, I'm sorry, what was that? You called it a restorative circle? Restorative circle. It's instead of like, so the student was breaking into cars in a parking lot. He broke into the human resources director's car, actually, and of the district. And instead- It's a small world. Yeah. And the superintendent called and said, hey, Farhat, uh, Brittany, uh, we don't want to send them to jail. Can you do something else? I'm like, ah, actually, yeah. So we had this restorative circle run by this guy who's a Buddhist. And it's a long story or a short story. Anyway, so the afflicted party was there, the human resources director, the kid. And we had this conversation. This kid has a history of violent behavior and drug use and very horrible things. And a lot of the people in the circle knew his family from being in the district for years and knew that his sister had a lot of problems, knew that his mother had a lot of issues with them. And all this stuff came out during that circle. And the thing that was really hard that came out in that circle was the kids like, I just, my father's in prison and I don't have a father figure and I just want what other people have. That's why I was breaking in the cars. That's why pretty much everything happens. And we all sat there and had no idea what to say because that's pretty heavy when someone actually opens their heart to you like that. And this kid, you know, he spent a couple years in YDC and he was facing staying in YDC until his 21st birthday is just because of the program that we run that judge is keeping him there because he knows that he's actually getting help now and the person running the restorative circle was like well will you let Farhat be your father figure and the kid's like yeah <laughs> everyone looked at me huh. I was like yeah okay let's do this but then you understand what that entails and then ever since then has it been up every single day no but he's about to graduate he has a semester left in school and he's not in jail he we had a court hearing last week two weeks ago and they asked me to go to the hearing to speak on his behalf he was facing 18 months and they still he's still in school doing okay it's it's every day is every day but yeah, he's not in jail and he's going to graduate. And that's the best we can ask for right now. Right. Oh, wow. That's a great story. Thank you. Is there anything else that you guys wanted to say that you haven't gotten a chance to say? As much as you try to uh, teach and instill responsible decision-making, kids are still kids. Kids are going to make mistakes. And I think what we as educators have to do is realize not to hold one mistake over a child's head forever. You know, you're going to make, they're going to make mistakes, you know, and you're going to have some of them that make mistakes that are going to affect them the rest of their lives. That is what it is. So it's just understanding that you can't necessarily save everybody, but there's a lot of people that deserve a second chance. Listening to you say that reminds me a lot, you know, these skills are skills that even adults still struggle with. You know, I mean, we all... <laughs> So it's like, to your point, it's like, don't 
hold everything over their head. I mean, adults are still learning these skills, developing them, refining them. So yeah, remember their kids. So no, I think that's a, a good way to end this. If people want to get in touch with you guys, we're going to put your email addresses up on the, in the show notes and on the Moments for Myself podcast page. So there'll they'll be a way if people want to learn more about the program or anything like that, they can, we'll have your emails and links there. Awesome. So. Well, we're happy to share. Yeah, Virginia, really appreciate the opportunity. Love sharing with your audience. Okay, so a few things I wanted to highlight from this interview that I think any educator or parent can learn from when it comes to helping your students or kids develop responsible decision-making skills. First, what Farhat said about you can't lecture responsible decision-making, you've got to prove it. And he gave that example of that moment when he took out his frustration about an email on the student and then promptly apologized to the student and explained what happened. And that's something that any parent or educator can do. It's not a lesson you spend hours working on. It's just being honest about a mistake in the moment. And that moment alone is more likely to leave an impression on the kid. Next was the importance of goals in responsible decision-making. So Brittany noted that kids will become more responsible if they have goals that they're working towards, which also tied into Farhat's definition of responsible decision-making, where he said it's not necessarily about making decisions that benefit yourself, but what you serve. This is one of the reasons I think that they have a personal plan for students every day. So the students are constantly working towards something. So ensuring that your kids or students have goals or constantly reminding them of those goals can go a long way in helping them become more responsible decision makers. And third, what they said about giving kids a chance to speak or prodding them to speak if they're not Within the context of responsible decision-making, I can see where if a kid is grappling with something, getting them to talk about it could help them identify what their options are, which is a part of responsible decision-making, understanding your options. So that's what I wanted to highlight from the interview. If you want to learn more about Marietta's MAPS program, you can find Farhat and Brittany's contact info on the show notes page. And if you're looking for something interactive and hands-on for your students or your kids to practice responsible decision-making skills, such as weighing their options or identifying solutions, be sure to check out the Moments for Myself workbook at momentsformyself.com. Thanks everyone for listening and thank you Farhat and Brittany.